This is Luke Gygax. Do you believe that the mechanics of combat are not the key to heroic fantasy and adventure games? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Save or Die. You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with golden jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Save or die! The Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oaks, hulking zombies and bulls, and oh no, 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 don't slow it down, oh no. Don't dig a vicious, I've done Matt's Mistara. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah. knew there, I knew there was a Mistara, I knew there was a hollow world, I didn't know one was inside the other till today. <laughs> don't talk about the hollow world i don't like the hollow world hola save or die number 88 Season. we are here once again to have the usual fab four dms here including dm liz hello hello dm Jim. because i'm a thug and i ain't going back to jail <laughs> <laughs> two street yeah yeah <laughs> And DM Jim. Uh, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Glenn. See? So, you're not you're not as street as crispy, but you're close. <laughs> Nobody's as street as crispy. Oh, no. Dude, I'm as yep. white as they come. I'm not street at all. <laughs> Sesame Street? Yeah, there you, we go. You glow. <laughs> you glow. <laughs> all right. Well, this episode, we are responding to fan clamor. And starting a occasional series we're going to call Gazapalooza. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Not to be confused with Gazapalooza, because that involves rockets. So. Oh, f- folks, folks, contrary to popular belief, I don't come up with the titles of these shows. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. 90% of the time, it's me. Oh, wait, because it's the Gazetteers. I just got it. There you go. <laughs> In this episode, we'll be talking about Gazetteer number one, the Grand Duchy of Carmichilios, or <laughs> Caramicos. Caramicos. All right. Caramicos. Yes. And I'll be honest, I had very little knowledge of Mistara. Mine had been limited to what was in the expert book before we got ready for this episode. So yeah, that's pretty. It much was right quite an eye opener. I will but try. First, as is our tradition, we're going to talk about what we did this week, or since the last show. Yeah. In gaming, DM Liz. Um, well, we had our usual 2E game yesterday. Didn't do an awful lot. Um, i got to find another basic game. I hate keep talking about a 2E game. I know. Here <laughs> I am. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah uh, we're traveling to our next adventure. And so most of what we did yesterday was adventures on the road. We stopped in a very small town in the middle of a war zone. And, of course, while we were there, the town gets caught in the middle of the warring factions who are fighting right outside. And there was a small group of one of the factions who snuck in 
because their scouts saw us enter the town that evening, and we were all armed and armored and whatnot, so they were under the impression that we belonged to the opposite side and that we were taking the town. So they came in to try to get the town from within and kill us at the same time, and things just kind of went downhill from there. (laughs) Yeah. um, I'll let Mike talk about why he's grumbling about that. (laughs) His character did not fare well in this. Wait, some kind of mass combat weapons proficiencies. That's my guess. Um, (laughs) Okay. I I am a fan of attribute checks. I am. But? But I don't think you need to roll whether or not you wake up when a dozen guys in chainmail, shield, and swords kicks down the front door of the tavern, stomps and running through the hall, and kicks your door open. Mike, that is a that is in, in a lot of circles, some of mine, that's an honored tradition. Did somebody roll, roll to see if you wake up? Did somebody it's roll BS. a one? Yes. I know it is. I know it is. Did somebody Go roll ahead. a one? Um, huh? Did somebody roll a one? Well, no, failed it, to well, wake up? My wisdom is a 12, so I rolled like a 15. So my character is asleep when he comes in there and stabs her in the chest with a sword. That woke her up. Well, I, I didn't have that. to roll for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most pathetic stabbing I've ever encountered. I just slept through it. <laughs> but, Although I did have the... Have uh, in the middle of the melee a bloody naked elf chick racing through the the hallway, chopping down enemy soldiers. So nice. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Yeah, I had that going for me. <laughs> Unfortunately, the DM didn't require the males of the party to like roll a saving throw or something. Uh. <laughs> I don't want to know what what is versus <laughs> <laughs> death oh. magic. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so, Liz, so pray, pray continue. Oh, your... petrification. That would be it. <laughs> petrification. Because yeah, you're a, your a single, single organ petrification. But anyway, <clears throat> high family friendly. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, pray, pray continue this sordid tale. Oh, yes. Well, yes. that was more or less what happened. Um, in the middle of that, these evil creatures, which we believe are coming from the hidden temple area that we're on our quest to try to find and see what's going on out there, also came up and started attacking everybody, both armies outside and anyone who was on the wall. Um, So we wound up having to fight those creatures too. And that was pretty much it. The session ended when we managed to kill all the things and... Dawn is breaking over the small town, and everybody's just kind of going, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> By the way, everybody in the small town hates and fears magic users. Okay. And our magic user during all this has been flying around throwing lightning bolts and fireballs. And he got peppered with some arrows from the townspeople because <laughs> even though he's trying to help them, it's like, ah, it's a magic user. Uh. I'm not. flying around. Nothing to see here. Nothing to Pretty see much. here. I don't <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. So now the start of the next game, we're going to have to cook up a quick the, explanation. Pull the arrows out. 
I don't often. Well, he did fly have protection around. from normal missiles, so okay. it was more annoying than anything. But so, other than that, the only other thing I've done with gaming is the um, the uh, online game that I've been a part of is finally starting to roll back into motion after things pretty much ground to a halt around the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays and nothing's happened until just this past week and Kevin is finally moving forward again. So stuff is, this is the now play by post game? Yeah, the one on oh, his bulletin okay. board. I thought it was an MMO like My Little Pony Armageddon. No, no. Um it's it's fun. basically a bulletin board. And you have your characters, and as the GM, he says what's happening, and everybody on there, as they have time and inclination, will post what they're doing. Uh, yeah, that would be an interesting game. My Little Kobold. <laughs> yeah. MMO. Old tattoos on their foreheads. <laughs> okay, but before we move to Jim, let me just say that Chase is a very good DM. Okay. He must be. Because you hear me grouse about all this stuff, but I still keep going back. So, a little credit where credit was due here. If I wasn't still having a lot of fun, I would have bailed on this game. If he starts starts playing 4E, run. Run fast. Oh, he's made some hints about maybe going to the new Hackmaster. And I've already said, well, if y'all want to do that, have fun. I don't have anything against it, but I'm not interested in playing it. I mean... You know, Hackmaster is a fine product for those who choose to do it. But if you hate, you know, skills right. proficiencies, Hackmaster is not your game. It's like triple Especially extra the new crunchy. version. The new yeah. version. I mean, it's crunchy out the wazoo. Go back yeah. to the original one if you're going to do that. I mean, you're, yeah, you're like, rolling nope, attacks okay. with penetration points and stuff. Yeah, nah. Yeah. Not my bag. If you enjoy it, that's great, but not my bag. Mm. So, Jim. Oh, man, I finally got the majority of my GaryCon deadlines met. The 24-page Marvin the Mage comic is off to the printer, so I actually did get the game last Saturday, or yesterday, Yay! as we record Woo-hoo! this. And uh, I just, it was a spectacular game, and I just, I love what we all do, because when it comes off great, it comes off great. I had written this adventure, they're up to like second level, which in DCC land, that's about equates to third or fourth level in regular D&D. So they're starting to get up there, so I'm having to really plan these challenges. So I hit them with the classic, you know, you, you get to the crest of the hill and off a couple of miles, you see the temple you need to get into, which, by the way, is a five-story tall statue of their god's head. And it's surrounded by hundreds of encamped soldiers. It's got neon. That, that class. How, We've got how to get in the temple. temple. How do we get, yeah, how do we get past 10 battalions of these guys? And I had a written very studious little list of all the mo- – I knew I knew the role they had to hit to sneak past them and get in and all the possible modifiers I could come up with. You know, like we go in at night, this? we send out scouts, we disguise ourselves, you know, we do this, we do this. Yeah. Everything you were playing, I think right? Of. No, you were I'm playing, right? Okay. This is why I don't play 3E. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> What were you running? Uh, Mutant Crawl Classics, my game. Oh, Post-apocalyptic. okay. Post-apocalyptic. Oh, base, never basically mind. DCC. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, yeah. point, I was about I to was, say, three, what? <laughs> the point I was trying to get to is I thought I, I had point? modifiers for everything, and they spent half an hour cooking up a plan with three or four ideas that I had not even conceived of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just like, is it just me, or does that sound a little Temple of the Froggian? Yeah, yeah. I, I'll steal from anybody. Um, okay, cool. So uh, one of them had the mutation mind control, and it, 
the mutations work like spell checks do in DCC. So uh, he normally, with a good mind control roll, can grab a person or two. But he burned all his stats, his physical stats, down to sixes, burned all his luck, had a character that can donate luck, donate luck, and got himself a 32-plus check on this mind control thing and the plan was they sent a guy up with a torch in the middle of the night and waved and fired off his weapon at them and they obliged them by sending about 40 of these guys on mounts up to get them so they they, they ambushed them when the 40 guys came in he gets off this 32 plus mind control thing and suddenly he's got 40 guys that he's their new god they just changed religions, <laughs> and because he got everybody within a 50-foot radius, also his party members are all now willing to lay down their lives for him. <laughs> Oops, sorry, too, guys. Too so good. That gave them plenty of pluses to get all snuck in the temple, and, uh, which well, thank you. Then, uh, but the best laid plans. The, guy, the, uh, the, the poor player Bobby had his rock star moment, and then two steps inside the place, they get jumped by two security droids, and he catches a 6D6 laser beam to the chest, it dies, and uh, nobody's mind-controlled anymore. <laughs> it was a martyr bit. And it was, it was a near TPK. The, the, other, the other thing, I've, I, I um, sound like I'm bragging on my own writing, I, I've written these things up to try and be as all-inclusive as possible, and a guy named Marcos plays a mutated uh, orangutan, and he tanked. He rolled a one. He did a crit failure trying to use his chameleon skin power. So he lost mm-hmm. that, gained a defect, and he's sweating it. And I'm like, well, let's, let's just roll to see what the defect is. Okay, he rolls. It's diminished sense. And I'm like, okay, now, you want to roll a d20 and roll as high as you can because the higher you roll, the least, the less impairing this diminished sense will be. And he pulls a 19 out, and he goes, so what I get? what I get? And I'm like, okay, well, you... Uh, your personality score just went down by two. You now have low-level autism. You no longer recognize facial or social cues. And he's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, oh, you know, basically you're telling a long-ass character story that nobody wants to hear and everybody's body language is getting real fidgety and you don't notice. So just keep going. Congratulations. You're a gamer. <laughs> nice. He's like, I think I can role-play that. <laughs> Hey, Liz. Yeah. Jonathan. Ah. <laughs> <clears throat> Not Tim. In case, since he's probably listening, I don't want him to yell at me. His character. <laughs> and I give my players the Mutant Crawl Classics guarantee that each and every game they will see at least one thing they have never seen in a role playing game before. And so last night's was in the middle of getting jumped by security bots five feet inside the place and a guy dying. There's an earthquake that shakes the whole temple. And they don't think anything about it because it stops. Everybody makes a dex check, then it's over. Then we go through the whole combat. When the guy went down, his uh, 40 troopers failed the morale check and all ran back out the entrance. They all just came in, and then they hear 40 screams. They look outside, and they're about 2,000 feet up in the air. The dungeon flew up. Ooh. Oh, man. Hey, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> nice. Now, will it stay up or will it fall? Well, it's made of it's made of obsidasium, so I you know. can't really get into that without spoiling it for my players. Yeah, okay. We'll see what no, happens. yeah, don't don't want to do that. Since all your players are doubtlessly listening to this episode, I don't think it's a question of so much where will it fly as do they blow it up before it crashes somewhere. <laughs> now that's gamma worldy style goodness. This is the voyage of the temple arc. <laughs> <laughs> a chunk. Yeah. So the HMS chunk. <laughs> After weeks of being lame, I did something in gaming this week. Gamey. 
Mm. Yes. How dare? Yeah, it's so lame to have like a real mm. life and a job and and working on stuff for it was, social public events. It was all Dude. either to pay the rent Dude. or for GaryCon. Okay. Yeah, we had got to make it to GaryCon one of these years. Someday. Mm. Someday. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, Glenn. Oh, boy. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. In gaming, I mean, right now, we're going to be moving by the end of the month to the south side. So all my, my digs. street. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, this is a really nice south side. You know, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice uh, area and all that. But, you know, like, oh, I got to box up all this gaming stuff. Am <laughs> uh, I drawing board and my light table and my thing anyway i'm gonna yeah win. it's so times it. like that that i th- i can kind of see why tim the guy who games with us intentionally has gotten rid of all his stuff and gone pdf ah it's a lot easier to tote around i just love real books i'm sorry yeah no i i understand I so, got hard- th- so thursday also i've been doing my rehearsal for my show uh, and that's been going well. Uh, it sort of it sort of put the kibosh on my Thursday night D six Star Wars game. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle of rehearsal, I got a, I got a text from Matt. I said, "Dude, where are you?" I said, "Rehearsal." Oh yeah. <laughs> I was just about to ask if that's been influencing your your game with Matt. Oh yeah. Also, I'm I'm off Thaco's hammer until I'm done with the show. So, yeah. Ah. No, actually, the Saturday game, no. No, we're not rehearsing Saturdays. Oh, does Matt do the Star Wars game as well as your D&D game? He plays in the Star Wars games. Our friend Ah. runs it. Ah, okay. So that's what he was pinging you for. Got it. And in Star Wars, I was playing a quixotic Jedi, Hmm. which is basically a crazy person who thinks he's a Jedi, is Force-sensitive, and doesn't realize it. Hmm. So... And I didn't even have a real lightsaber. I had the hilt of a lightsaber that I stuck a, a blade into. <laughs> That's kind and, of cool. okay. And Saturday, I show up. Eric said, "Well, your character died. He died protecting the captain of the of the cargo ship we were working for." Well, and uh, it's like now I'm going to try and talk Eric into having him come back as a Force ghost, a la Obi Wan, <laughs> just just to annoy the captain. I think you should go over here and use the force. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Let me fly the ship. You know? Let go. <laughs> yeah. dude, 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 you can be our force ghost on the podcast because put some reverb in your voice, which is already great. It'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be fun. Anyway, the Saturday game. Let me tell you what happened in the Labyrinth Lord game. Um, we fought some trolls. We had, and This was like eight players. Eight players? Yeah, eight players who were fighting a troll that had characters who'd never seen a troll before. Hmm. So it was back to, well, what is this thing? How do we kill it? Oh my God. Role playing. Yes. And we did. No. Figure out the, we finally figured out the fire thing. And, uh, it was, and I was in two battles and twice I put striking on my mace and I wasted it because it, it, they tanked before I got there. I love striking because it gives me another D six damage. Plus it makes it a magical weapon for a round. So, that's a good thing. But anyway, we ran into, get this, we found in the dungeon, this was a dwarven, old dwarven uh, something or other, but we found the tap room, and there was a barrel of ale there. And one of the guys tried to tap it. The, um, the bung flew out of the, the, the thing flew out of the, the barrel. Out of the bung hole. Out of the bung hole. And uh, 
all the beer spilled on the floor. It's just like, you know, if you shook it too hard. And then it formed into, get this, a beer elemental. Ooh. <laughs> and I go, okay, striking, because it's a magical creature. probably. And everybody was trying to do I was going to dive into it and try and drink it to death. But, <laughs> you know. Or water we, into it. But then our druid. Oh, my God. Ray, our druid steps up and does purify water. Ah, so bye bye, bye bye beer elemental. It's like so. Did it change dude. into a Corona elemental at that point? <laughs> hey, I like Corona. <laughs> no, it was it went it went away. We patted him on the back. Says, "Man, you may not be able to hit anything, but you came in in the clutch." <laughs> He's the guy who like okay, did he hit his requisite orc of the game or something? <laughs> because he's always missing. And is like, oh, he hit one. Okay, you're good for the rest of the game. So, but that was brilliant. He just purified waters. I got purified yeah, food. Yeah, that's that's an ideal way of taking care of it. I said I got purified food and drink. Why didn't I think of that? I'm the cleric. <laughs> but uh, let's Mister Tree Hugger have his moment. So yeah. But hey, Ray, way to go, dude. Thanks. <laughs> and now we're about to we we ended the game. We're about to jump into another room full of trolls. So we'll find out in a couple of weeks what happens. Are there 32 trolls in a room with a jug of alchemy? Who cares? Get them. <laughs> That's right. Well, there was a, the troll we fought was drunk, like coming off of a drunk and a hangover. And he says, one guy, in, one guy went in there to check it out, and the troll was sleeping. And he, he wakes up, who the hell are you? I just come in to change, change the, 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 the keg, sir. Picks him up by the shirt and flings him across the room. Get out of here, you know. So he was fighting with a hangover, too. So it was kind of, you know, it was a little easier. Apparently regeneration doesn't work very well on hangovers. I guess not. But, oh, he regenerated like crazy. Cut his head off. Another one's grew back. Cut his leg off. Another one's growing back. Oh, man, it was fun. Mm. Don't ask too many questions about the cheeseburgers, either. That's right. <laughs> and we finally put the torch to <laughs> went bye-bye. So anyway. All righty. That was me. Cool. And now let's head into emails. Get down, get down, get down, get down. The Save or Die email hot tub time machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh, man. Do we have any emails this week, Liz? We do have emails. <laughs> we, we, we have a plentitude of emails. A plethora? But we will only go over four of them this episode. Ah. Okay. Liz, you made that, Liz, you made that word up, right? A plentitude? Oh, plentitude. I thought you said flintitude. No, no, no. That's a lot of plints. <laughs> or flints. I thought it was like we got them all from the Flintstones. <laughs> a planetitude. There, I made that up. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jim. <laughs> so, our first email is from Derek Jones. Derek. And Derek writes, Hello, I've been listening to the show for a long time and was recently going back listening to some of the older podcasts again. Mm -hmm. Listening to episode 52 and the subject of critical hits came up. As a longtime gamer, I started with the Mold Vey Cook back in 81-ish, I've dabbled in various critical hit systems over my long years of gaming. 
Although I've played various D&D editions over the years, all the way up to 3.x, which I abandoned shortly after a torrid affair with the system, I came back to the older editions. <laughs> well, you, you, you went back to your marriage. That's the important thing. <laughs> yeah, we saved another one. We one day with 3.5 and didn't know how that happened. <laughs> we saved yep. another gamer, folks. <laughs> anyway, he goes on to say, in fact, I went back to the roots and started with the three little brown books and have been running a game using the Delving Deeper rule set, which in my opinion best represents the little brown books as they were originally, though Swords and Wizardry is a close second. Anyway, during my preparations for my game, I did some rereading and intent of hit points. And despite all the years of playing various incarnations, I read the words but didn't really pay attention very well. As hit points are abstract representation used in combat, not all hits have to be wounds. It can represent fatigue, luck, etc. I'm sure all of the hosts are already aware of this, but I did lay it out for my players so they would understand how they function. Mm -hmm. I explained when a hit is successful, maybe they were bruised or cut, or possibly they used the sword or shield to turn a mortal wound aside and strain themselves, causing fatigue. In any case, they are still up with no serious wounds or injuries. But when you are at zero hit points, all of your luck, skill, or light injuries you have taken have reached its limits. Now a mortal blow or critical can be struck. This is where I use a customized critical hit table. Now, whenever a hit is scored, all rolls are rolled on this simplified table. My personal preference for not liking critical hits is that they favor the DM. Since the DM has more opponents, he gets more rolls, therefore can score more critical hits against the players. You're damn right. Hmm. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah. <laughs> but to each his own, I just thought I'd share my thoughts on critical hits. I apologize for such a long email. Looking forward to more episodes. Derek. Thank you, Derek. Thanks, you know, Derek. That's, that's why he went back to Mama Holmes. He has he has three little ones at home, little brown ones. <laughs> and that is not a long email, Derek. We've read longer. We've had, I guarantee oh, it. Yeah, definitely. Meet Kojo sometime. He he said about how hit the the theory of how hit points actually function is almost exactly what Tim Cast told me they they conceived them as under original mm -hmm. D D. Except his email would it would have taken Tim about forty five minutes to articulate the same idea. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, and another thing, it's it's very easy for us when we're playing to get into the thing, into the, you know, pattern of hit, you hit, you missed. Well, technically a miss isn't necessarily you didn't hit your opponent. It just means you didn't hit them enough to do anything. It may have bounced right. off their shield or that sort of thing. It's like that so, thing in the – oh, go ahead. And I noticed on the OD&D Guild uh, Yahoo group there's been some debate about – whether or not D and D is broken because it's too abstract, or this, or that, or you know that sort of thing, and I'm like, well, you know, my personal opinion is it's abstract in order to keep the game going. I mean, you compare that to tunnels and trolls, and you, it looks like a detailed system, <laughs> or chivalry and sorcery, yeah. which makes it really, you know, or ring quest, you know, which makes it rather more detailed. I mean, there are games out there that make. Mm -hmm. That have more realistic combat if that's your bag, right? But I don't think D and D ever intended to be a particularly realistic combat system. What was the name of the game that came out right after D and D that was like hyper realistic 
feudal medieval combat. Chivalry and sorcery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it, it had some good historical information in it, but yeah, that some of the combat and stuff, you know, just not my bag. Great, great um, reference though. You know, and one, like sec- one, segment of, one segment of the listenership just switches off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're talking about where's the tension point between two extremes. Well, that's going to vary for all of us, but uh, my personal measure is our average game sessions are about four hours, and if I can get three combats squeezed into four hours, I feel like mission. Well accomplished. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uh, my 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 mind goes from TNT and D and D to Role Master. Ugh. You know, see, yeah, yeah. exactly. Role Master. Yeah, Chart Master. Uh, or, or, or what was it? I think Tim Jim Ward said uh, calls it "Roll You Bastard." <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you enjoy Roll Roll Master, that's wonderful. But yes. Not our bag, baby. Sorry. Did you say Jim Ward said that? I don't know if Jim Ward or was it somebody somebody else. I, I remember. Just, I think it was. I think it was Frank. I'm not sure Jim Ward is capable of swearing. I've never heard no. Jim raise his voice, and even when he kills you dead, it's like being killed by your grand, kindly old grandpa. It's like well, being. Oh, it's he, like being killed by Mister Rogers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Nice. Jim. 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 If you have a derogatory quote from somewhere if you can't think of who it is just give it just tell us tim cask said it (laughs) (laughs) all right well do we have another email yes we do and our next one is from sunny calzone or sunny calzone i'm not exactly sure i would say calzone but it might be calzone but anyway sunny writes well met kindred spirits hello I've been enjoying numerous D&D podcasts, and the Save or Die podcast is far and away the most enjoyable of them all. We love you, Sonny. (laughs) I believe he has turned my head. (laughs) Thank you for doing such incredible work. Here on Long Island, there are some truly great gaming shops where tabletop RPG players congregate and continue to enjoy all that this wonderful hobby has to offer. Much of the D&D that happens on Long Island is, as expected, Pathfinder and 4th Edition. That's all well and good. It warms my heart to see these outermost branches of the D&D tree continue to flourish. As for the stout D&D tree itself, I remain close to its roots, where I am still just happy as a clam. Hmm. My journey began in 1978, when a neighbor introduced me to 1st Edition AD&D. Hardbound printings of the iconic monster manual with the Sutherland cover art ruled the roost alongside the Dungeon Master's Guide with the Sutherland cover art and Player's Handbook with the Trampier cover art. In my mind, it was and will forever remain the most fascinating creative outlet of that time. <sighs> At present, I am refereeing a GDQ 1 through 7 campaign at Yield Empire Gaming Shop using the first edition AD&D system. Two questions. Which of those seven modules is your favorite of the bunch and why? Number two, not including Lolf, which of the villains is your favorite from that campaign and why? Thank you for your time. Karate Chops, DM Sunny Calzone. Sunny Calzone. Sunny. Thank you. From Long Island, I expected to let it go. Well, you know, we play this game here. It's called well, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Anyway. Well, 
technically, first edition is Roll for Initiatives, Bailiwick, not ours. But we'll slum this time. <laughs> would, you call, would you call RFI? <laughs> and we'll start with DM Glenn. You son of a... Anyway. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I never played them. Really? Never ran them? Never played them? Never played them. Never I've, ran them. Never ran them, never played them as a player. I, I, I'm a late, like everybody knows that I'm a late DM, late to the party DM. I'm mostly a player. And as a player growing up, all that's, I have my DMs were like, I do my own stuff. Uh, in that case, I will say my favorite is Q1, Queen of the Demon Web Pits, okay. pre- precisely because it's got so much extra planar activities going on. Though that map is a pain, let me tell you. Um, mm. At least the map of the demon web itself. But uh, I think it was Frank Menser who said they ended up taking that from somebody's shower curtain. <laughs> <laughs> that pattern, because it was that, that weird Celtic knotworky kind of. Now that sounds like Frank. Yeah, okay, I think he told right. me that. But anyway, that's my favorite of the modules. My favorite villain, though besides Lolf, would have to be the drow vampire Bella from Descent in the Depths of the Earth, his little side cavern with his succubus squeeze. Bella Lugosi? It just says Bella. <laughs> knowing Gary's sense of humor, yeah, I can, I can he- see the drow going, good evening. <laughs> Bleh. So that's mine. Uh, DM Jim? I got nothing because uh, the only ones of those I played were the ones that when they uh, first were published, they were in the monochrome uh, mm-hmm. covers. And mm-hmm. that, that was like 1979 or 80. And I just remember playing it. I remember being really impressed that there were kinds of elves we didn't know about and, you know, Loth. That's all I can remember. Ah, uh, yes. Back when Drow were bad guys and not angsty, emo, goth people. They were whiny vaders. There was yeah. no part of that sentence I didn't love, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> or, but that's or just my opinion. But yeah. Emo destroyer of worlds. Yeah. Liz? Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to have to choose Queen of the Demon Web Pits as well. Um, while, you know, I, I, I never, like Glenn, I never actually played in any of the modules, but I did own them. And I read through them, hoping that I would one day, you know, run others through them. So as a player, I've never, you know, done anything like, you know, through them. But I have read them. The the Against the Giant series, it's a little too, it's a little too hack and slash for my personal taste. Which is not yeah. to say they aren't good, but I find I don't find them as interesting as I found the. Queen of the Demon Web Pits and the Vault of the Drow, you know. Yeah, they section. pretty much reflect their roots as what amounts to original D&D tournament modules. Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing, but, you know, the, the Vault of the Drow and Queen of the Demon Web Pits, I found, you know, far more interesting, you know, as a setup and encounters than I did the Giants series. But... My my favorite is Queen of the Demon Web Pits, um, so and that's why it's it's a lot more interesting. I do agree the 
map was a pain, but <laughs> <laughs> was there one in the series that was had a turquoise cover and had Swahagan on it? Uh, a different monochrome no, module. I think you're thinking of the um Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh series. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We hated that one. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know. But it had Sahugan. <laughs> um my my favorite villain was the Type 5 demon, the Matron, in the Matron's Chamber on the first deck. Oh, the secretary. Yes, the little the demon secretary. She was my favorite. <laughs> and you know, you'll as you may recall from when we were playing in Frank's game at last year's North Texas, it, it's very, you know, reminiscent of you know, his dungeon, that second level, because you go in there, she's sitting behind a desk, she's got, you know, papers are everywhere, and she insists that you have to sign this ledger, you know, before you can go any further, you know, you've got to take a seat, you can't take a seat, because all the chairs have been stolen by the closets, so there are no seats, and she's looking for the ledger, she can't find it, and she's just, you know, she's just getting, you know, all flustered and everything and it, it's just great and like the oh i can't remember the name of the of the race in frank mincer's dungeon but it's very much like them if you ask her why do you have to sign the ledger she doesn't know it's just it's the rules loth told her she had to make people sign and so that's why she has no idea but she's just following the law <laughs> so narks Pro DM tip, if you want your setting to be just lawful evil enough, run it like the BMV. <laughs> yep. That's right. That'll That's work. Right. Which was kind of Frank's dungeon, actually. Yeah. But, yeah, she's my favorite. I love her. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and so, email number three. Thank you, Sam, Sonny. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. <laughs> Our next email is from Kevin Long. He says, hi, guys and Liz. I was just listening to the show about what to do when people die. I had a DM that would let you choose. You can come back at the same level but lose two points of constitution or come back one level lower. I just make them come back one level lower and then the lowest player, or one level lower than the lowest player. So if they all died, someone somewhere would be level one again. (laughs) (laughs) That's harsh. (laughs) Yeah, two points of con, he's taking well, stuff out of the AD, uh, first edition. Well, but. at least, uh, you know, it'll teach the players caution. Yeah, you would hope. Yeah. yeah. So our final email is from... Well, thank you, by the way. Whoever. Yes, thank you, Kevin. Yeah, it was quick. We, <laughs> yes, we like that. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> our next letter is from Sol Lin and... Saul writes, hello, Save or Die podcast. The topic of dragon subduel came up on one of your recent podcasts. (laughs) It got me thinking about that rule a little more, and I started to wonder, why was there never any mention of using subduel against other monsters? Could you imagine subduing a giant? A beholder? What about my own pet rust monster? Dragons are intelligent, so maybe I could start subduing NPCs, too. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've got a magic user who had a pet rust monster, but I had to polymorph one of our fighters into it to get him. 
<laughs> so it's like the king of the realm. Imagine fighting a unit of orcs and subduing one after another with the flat of my blade, then rallying them against a unit of bugbears. There is no subdual rule in basic D&D aside from the one for dragons. But what if there was? And shouldn't there be? I mean, if you can subdue a dragon, the largest, most cunning, and most dangerous of all monsters, then why shouldn't I be able to subdue, say, a lizard man or a hobgoblin? I would think that lesser monsters would be that much more likely to knuckle under. Yep. I suppose it would invalidate Charm Person or even Charm Monster if you could bring any monster around just by beating on it for subdued damage. <laughs> <laughs> and sure, I can see how being able to create an ally out of an enemy anytime combat starts could be very problematic. But then again, isn't being able to subdue a dragon to your will also problematic? Now all I need to do is research a fireball spell that deals subdual damage, and I am on my way to lordship. Oh. Riding around on my very own gold dragon that I subdued myself, DM Soul Hawk. Thank you. P.S. <laughs> Kneel before sod. Uh, it appears. Cool. I was thinking about a paladin who's like this. This hobgoblin says, kneel before me for my lawful god. I can't. You cut my legs off. <laughs> and of course, if that's allowed, then should monsters start trying to subdue PCs? Oh, I think they should. <laughs> well, fair is fair, right? I know. Dragon course, suddenly shows up and beats the heck out of the party yeah, and <laughs> ties them up. The first thing I thought of when he said subdual is, is horror on the hill. Let's get that dragon over there and subdue him. Just beat him on the head enough. Yeah. Subdue your own party members, then go subdue everybody in town. Pretty soon, you know, run for office. <laughs> yeah. Still, you're you're then spending an awful lot of time just running around and and punching people in the face. You know, it works in prison. Why wouldn't it work in real life? It won't work in the game because there is no rules for unarmed combat that are any good. <laughs> well, that's why you use the subdual rules and not the. Not the grappling and wrestling rules. Yeah. No, no weird grappling, wrestling, swinging, strike, striking. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just do yeah. subdual. Oh, by the way, Jim, do you have that uh, MP3 clip from the original animated Lord of the Rings movie, that orc song where there's a whip? Hey, man, don't worry about it. We got this covered. Introducing the Save or Die Kobold Tabernacle Choir. You boys ready, Alvin? Ready, Jim? Then hit it. I mean, seriously, no kidding around. He answered his own question because if you change the rules the way he's discussing, you've completely, you know, disassembled the balance of the game. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. play purposes, I always just imagined that dragons as a species were both highly intelligent and secretly quite cowardly. 
you know, it's going against my way. I better knuckle under. Well, yeah, and one could rationalize if you can live for thousands of years, you're going to be far willing to throw your life away than, you know, the average human because, well, eternity, millennia is a tough thing to give up for a pile of treasure that you can always grab more of. Well, in Uh, real life, in real life, everyday life, there are animals that you can tame and there are ones that you will never be able to tame. You know, yeah. You can be a horse whisperer. You can't be a tiger whisperer. Oh, you could, but you wouldn't. Once, <laughs> yeah, once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are there are those stories that you you know see floating around online. You know, the guy hugging the lion and that sort of thing. And yeah, that may happen on a rare individual basis, but those animals are not readily domesticated like you know our house cats and and dogs are and that same lion might rend this guy to shreds you know five days later because something happened listen so, the, the way i roll d20s that is never going to have a happy ending yeah, yeah. <laughs> look what happened to siegfried and roy yeah i, mean, I might uh I might have thought about that a bit more, but in most of the games I've run or played in, I think maybe twice has anybody tried to subdue a dragon. I mean, normally it's, dragon, kill it! Or, dragon, run! You know? <laughs> well, first Subdual of all, even with the rules... On, huh? I said, first of all, even with the rules as written, it's hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're better off killing that dragon and, and trying to find some eggs and raise one up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And if you are playing an inherently good individual, it's kind of against your nature to deliberately enslave another creature like that. I'm trying especially, to save him. Especially if it's, say, a good dragon. You're a good person. This is a good aligned dragon. It would be really creepy of you to try to subdue it in the first place. And if it's an evil dragon and you're a good person, you should be trying to kill it rather than enslave it because it's evil. I'm trying to save it. For yourself? No, I'm (laughs) turning him toward the light. (laughs) Yeah. And until then, I'm getting him to eat my enemies. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. Uh, All right. Well, thanks for the emails. As usual, if you want to write us, you can write us at... Save or die podcast at gmail.com. Woohoo. You get a treat How about and, that. And you can send us voicemails at 940-536-3763. Three sod. That's three sod. Three SOD. All right. Well, let's uh, take a quick break and then we'll head into a top five review of Gazetteer One. Grand Duchy. You've been through basic training. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Major Bones in the first edition. Hey, that's my princess. Go find your own. Time to kick it into second. Let's rock this joint. If 2E is your thing, listen to Thaco's Hammer, the best damn AD&D second edition podcast ever. Join DMs Glenn. Mm. Everybody pee. Good. Brian. 
Oh, the uh, our the cultured one in this program. Somebody has to be. <laughs> Corey. I got liquor behind the bar, which is on the other side of my gaming books. And full-on gamer. Put a friggin' heavy-duty friggin' buttstock on there with a adamantium or a mithril or iron <laughs> or whatever it is he wants for a cap on it. As they discuss, review, and generally BS about 2E in all its glory. I'm going to go with five cyanosis and a jester. That'd be epic. <laughs> a jester? Epic. Seriously? A half yeah, whiff work. Check it out at thakoshammer.info. That uh, crypt thing. Crypt servant. <laughs> yes. What, what could we do with these guys? Well, aside from I mean, guarding crypts. I'd well, say yeah. put them in a crypt. Besides <laughs> that. I mean, yeah. Oh. But, okay, put them in a crypt. They're going to be found in crypts. It won't hurt. Maybe you could put them in a crypt. Besides, you might learn something. A, a really cool, different idea you can do. I don't know, Corey, you might want to slow down. This, this seems like it might be a pretty <laughs> wild out there thought. You could, <laughs> but you could put them in a crypt. Holy <laughs> crap! A crypt? <laughs> the Save or Die Top 5 In 5 Four, three, two. Here we are at the top five review of Gazetteer One, Grand Duchy of Glen. Karamikios. Karamikios. Woohoo. By Aaron Alston, the late Aaron Alston, the late great Aaron Alston. From Texas. 1980s. Hmm? From Texas. Yeah, we got to get Texas. that in there. <laughs> 1987. That's right. It, and, uh, and it retailed for $10. Yep. Of course, with the prices in the 80s, that probably made yeah. it closer to 25 or 30 today. Oh, and that's uh, number 9193 if you're following along at home. <laughs> if you've got to know the ISBN numbers do we, <laughs> do we or the do TSR the, catalog number. Do we want to do the where can you get this now at the top of the show or save it to the end? Oh, oh, I'm finished. I'm finished. So go ahead and say it to the end. All right. Well, we'll start then with number five, and I will start off. My number five was its touch on historical cultures. Bad or good? Both. Okay. Um, you would I know. Like, yeah. Huh? You would know, Professor. Yeah. Yeah. And I that I tried to think about that when I was reviewing this. It's like you know, most people are not going to know what I know when they come to this stuff, so it's not really going to bother them on the things that did bother me. But some of the things I liked, I did not have a problem with, is the you know lifting of some European mythologies to with a twist to make as the background of the duchy of the mm -hmm. cultures there which I thought was kind of cool, um, particularly the Arthurian-type background story to rationalize why, they're a why they are, don't actually have a king, per se. Right. Um, also, the weird kind of almost Thermopylaean battle between the humans in bronze armor and the beastmen. That was kind of cool. That was so hot when you said that. Huh? Thermopylaean? I said that. Yeah, that was hot. <laughs> <laughs> With apologies to 300. <laughs> um, I liked how they had the ruler and ruled split class uh, cultures, sort of like the high medieval England with Normans and Saxons, except right. they did it with uh, Central European kind of Slavic type as the 
lower classes and a Byzantine Roman as the upper classes. I've got a question for you, Professor. If you were to take the cultures you're talking about as presented in this gazetteer, what equivalent real-life century do you think, just generally? Uh, 6th, 7th century A.D. Okay. I hate B.C.E., by the way. Um, and, you know, the Balkans were ruled by the Eastern Roman Empire at the time, so, you know, this sort mm-hmm. of ruler and ruled is pretty plausible, especially among the Bulgars or the Dacians. Right. So, so that that's good. However, my criticisms really – then the history was good and bad because it apparently makes an effort of noting that the rulers, the Thimerians, what are they? Something like the, the Byzantines. The guys and, that came in and laid down the smack but weren't basically right, that bad. Right. Right. And – they note in there to the various names that would be equivalent to Byzantine cultural names and such. And then I think they really lost an opportunity here because they could have taken that and made the culture really Byzantine. But then they just dropped it and turned it into standard medieval land. <laughs> like, like all the knights have a little special. I went there for summer ones. So like what you're suggesting is all the royalty have a special little piece of furniture just to rest their feet on? Uh, uh, you mean Ottomans? Yeah. <laughs> Ottoman but Empire? I'm Sorry. <laughs> yeah, because Byzantines and Ottomans are like this. The stool capital of Mistara. Um, <laughs> Don't and fire the me. Titling, it was weird. Apparently the way they did it is they had medieval titles going from the bottom up. Mm-hmm which was the exact reverse of medieval Europe rather than top-down, which seemed weird. And, and then making knight a noble title, which I think was a big mistake, especially after they go on in the companion rules and introduce the knight as a neutral paladin, essentially as a prestige class. Mm-hmm. So that's going to cause confusion. On the whole, they do cover how nobles have prior, uh, private jurisdiction in their realms, which I liked. You know, the overall historical aspect of it was good, though I really don't think they needed to spend two whole pages on describing how each culture dressed. <laughs> I think that was a bit much, but, you know, that's probably a personal that's for, that's for all those That's for all those SEA seamstresses out there. I guess. I was just thinking that to myself, you know, when when I was reading that part, you know, talking about how, you know, everybody dressed and you've got, you know, the, you know, indigenous folk, you know, kind of dressing like pirates and gypsies. And then you've got the incoming nobles dressing like the high nobility. It's kind of like being at an SCA event or at a Ren Fair. Uh-huh. You got your pirates and gypsies and then, you know, and and you've got your, you know, everyone else who's, you know, dressing to the nines as actual nobles. So And and the bottom up of the noble titles and having knighthood kind of being an extra special title as opposed to the Middle Ages where virtually every noble was a knight. Um, except in the Byzantine Empire, but we, as I said before, they pretty much dumped that right out the gate, so it's not a big deal one way or the yeah. other. So anyway, Glenn, what's your number five? Well, I love the way they watermarked everything with this castle. No, I don't. <laughs> but that's, that's not what I was going to talk about. You're jumping um, ahead and stealing somebody else's thing, sir. 
That's right. Just for the sake of a joke. Wow. <laughs> I don't do that, do I? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I've, I'm revisiting this. I've read this about a couple of years ago when, or a year or so ago when I got it with my big, big batch of gazetteers. And uh, looking through it, I've forgotten how canny, um, which is what I like out of an NPC, Stefan Karamikios III is. Because here's a guy who was in the army in Thetis and was landed gentry. And he turned to the emperor and said, okay, see this area here? If I clear this out and make it safe, can I have a duchy there and be autonomous? It's something you're not using and it's full of monsters. And the emperor basically said, sure, go ahead. But then he took the title of duke, not king, because the rationale was – all the enemies of like Thetis around there, it makes it think that he's beholden to the king and then they don't want to mess with him. Not to mention there's the cultural aspect of taking right. the title of king too among the lower classes. Right. And he wanted to establish his foothold in there before he did anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it was Duke and Duchess. And then if you go over and look into like the Tui revision of this, he is now a king. Mm. So he had a method to his madness I really liked. That was my five. All right. Jim? Okay. I started with Holmes and then followed the directions explicitly and went straight to AD&D. So I'm just starting out with the disclaimer. I knew absolutely nothing about Mistara before this became the topic of a podcast. So I, I'm, well, I'm, we'll learn you, boy. I'm coming to this brand new A and B handicapped somewhat by I would never buy a campaign setting and run it. I would maybe get one and rate it for stuff. So my number five is uh, applies specifically to Karamikos. Sure. Is that how you say it? Yeah. yeah. That's how I'm saying it. That's good. Karamikos That's good. specifically and Mistara as a whole, I love that the, the world map and the continents are arranged exactly like Earth 135 million years ago. I'm like, that's a genius. I'll, you know, most of us back in the day would just try and find a map we liked and flip it upside down or something. Mm-hmm. But take, taking, taking, taking the continental drift and structures of the continents as they were in real life and basing it on that from 135 million years ago, that's something I would steal and use. That's cool. Hmm. There you go. I was not aware that was what they did with the map. That's pretty cool. Okay. So, that's fine. That hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to start off with... Um, something that I noted and don't necessarily agree with, but it was something that stuck out to me. Um, in using the Karamikos rule booklet, at one point they talk about how players are encouraged not to use level titles because there's very few titles in the duchy. And so if you're a first level magic user, you would not you are not to refer to yourself as the level title for that, the medium or what have you. You know, you should just say I'm a first level magic user. Yeah. And I've never I didn't like that. Yeah, I I've never cared for that myself. I like the level titles because it makes it sound to me more realistic. Because, you know, who realistically is going to go around and say, you know, I'm a fifth level graphic designer. 
It's like, <laughs> no one. You know? Dude, like, I do yeah. that all the time in real life. <laughs> <laughs> some guy some guy in his pickup truck backed into me and dented my Miata one day, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I can get through this. This is just another NPC I have to deal with today. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, usually we just – we we say you know whatever our our job is or our title you know i'm i'm you know rather than i'm a fifth level graphic designer you know instead you'd say i'm the art director for you know fill in the blank company you know and so i i did not care for for that you know i i think that you should use level titles it's not going to take away from the noble titles of the people in whatever kingdom or duchy that you're a part of, I don't think. So, you know, that's kind of nitpicky, but I've never read anything where they where they specifically came out and said, "Don't use the le- the character level titles." <laughs> it just seemed weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, that stood out to me too and I didn't like it much, which then gets to my 4 which was talking about some of the game changes that were put in there, the actual crunchy bits. That was one of the things I was going to refer to, but fortunately you covered that, and that's why I have several things under each point in case other people cover them. Um, You're catching up. Exactly. Um, I liked how they provided the stock maps of small and large taverns along with manor houses. Mm -hmm. That would be useful to DM anywhere. I also like how they gave suggested locations for the various B modules, which was cool. One thing I did not like, and this is no surprise to anyone, is their skill Skills. system. <laughs> because it's, I knew that was coming. It's just stealth proficiencies. Bah! Well, and that interesting little way of, and when you're rolling up a character of trading skill points around, which was kind of a newer idea back then. Yeah. True. Bah! <laughs> oh, I don't like it either. I'm just talking about it. Yeah. Okay, Glenn, four. Four. Okay, I have a couple to choose from, one of which you've already touched upon a little. But I'm going to go – I'm going to touch upon the night for a moment like you mentioned because I do like the idea night is a separate like title instead of giving everyone oh you're a duke okay you're a knight too because that means i gotta earn it i'm I'm remembering like you know the shakespeare plays where it finally comes down to like uh sir john falstaff who was an who was a knight but wasn't much of one it it, it's and lately you know like in england it's only turned into like a title now well it was the very lowest title of nobility right Um, but in the Grand Duchy, it's actually higher than a lordship. Oh, not not lower than Chaotic Knight. Lower than what? Chaotic Knight, like Glenn played in Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> oh Chaotic Jedi. Yeah, um, um, but I just like the idea; it's a separate thing because, like I said, that way well, what you about, actually had to. What? How do you import the? How do you handle the knights that are the "quote unquote" prestige class from the companion rules? I don't. You don't allow them. I don't. We don't have them. You don't allow them. Uh, that's a, that's. You are correct, sir. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you are correct, sir. If I was use if I was using Karamikos, that would be the thing right there. Mm. It's like you be a knight, go out, slay some dragons, rescue some people, do your knightly thing, and then we'll give you a title. 
Very cinematic. Yes, absolutely. You know, I don't hey, want these. Yeah. That, oh, went, 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 that went from a podcast to deposition all of a sudden. So you do not, for the record, allow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just trying to understand what he was saying. <laughs> Where are, were you are, on the night of the twenty seventh <laughs> of February? <laughs> are you now, or have you ever been a night lover? Uh, when did you stop doing that dragon? Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, I started out like as highest altitude possible with the layout of the continents. Um, are we going to do random encounters, or are we just doing top five? Yeah, we are going to do random encounters. Oh, God, i got to save him then for the random encounters. Okay, there's a thing that this does. Having already stated my general personal, it's just me, you know, just like for this type of product, a campaign thing. This uh, coming out in 86 or 87, I think, was kind of – I don't know if this was calculated or not, but it sort of fills a gap in uh, game items that at, by that time up until then had been filled by Judges Guild. This is like a really nicely typeset and professionally laid out and written uh, Judges Guild product. Like I'm thinking of all those tables in the uh, basic D&D ready ref sheets where there's like a court system and what happens to you if you go to jail and uh, – and- uh, it- now, is this is this a bad thing or a good thing? Well, the, your mileage may vary. I mean, if okay. if if you know you got a g- game next week and you need to you know you need to know the details of the legal system and what the fines are for individual crimes, um, you know you've got ready ref sheets back in basic D and D day or these apparently these gazetteers because there's a lot of that stuff in here. Okay. Mm-hmm. There is. Cool. Okay. Liz, I I know where Jim is coming from with the. You know, probably, you know, not liking to use people's, you know, stuff, whole cloth. And it's pretty much the same direction where, you know, I come from, where you come from, Mike. Um, However, that being said, I do enjoy that this one, that um, Karamikos, you've got a, you have a timeline that you can draw on. And so if you did not want to you know, go down into the nitty-gritty of every nth detail that the booklet, you know, gives you, you could just draw on the more general timeline of events and then fill in as you liked around that, which would probably be what I would do if I was going to use the Karamiko setting. I would just use the general timeline that they give and then... I'd put in what I liked and take out what I didn't like. So I I very much liked that they included that in the whole booklet. So those of us who don't want to use all of it have an opportunity to, you know, have a more general overview and fill in their own. Well, I have a question then. Um, Comparing apples to apples, this gazetteer to something we just covered a few episodes ago, which was uh, the Chronicles of Amherst, pro and con those two for me. Which would you rather have as a product to actually use and steal stuff from for your campaign? Well, I enjoyed Amherst more. I I think that's more because of the overall flavor of what was presented in Amherst. And I also liked how... You know, rather than giving an overall timeline per se, in Amherst, there are various, with the big things and the big people that are showcased in the supplement, you have conflicting stories as to, you know, say with the king that keeps apparently coming back to life every time you kill him. You know, 
why. And it doesn't tell you specifically why. You get to decide on your own why. And so I like that it gives you that wiggle room that you can put your own spin on the big movers and shakers and the big events that it lays out for you. That's kind of where I'm at. Well, Amherst also is like, you know, Miss Stara. You know, this would probably be more comparison to Ghoul Keep and the Ghoul Lands since it basically is covering one specific section of the planet or the campaign world. That's what I meant. I just didn't say it right. Oh, okay. This is true. Not comparing setting versus setting, like ghouls versus what's going on in Mistara. Not comparing that, mm-hmm. but comparing presentation. I much liked Amherst's presentation and level of detail better. Yeah, me too. And I say level of detail because it was actually less detail. Exactly um, what I meant. True. It was more adventure-based, True. which as a DM I've always found more useful. But, you know, some people just really love crunchy details. I mean, that's where Forgotten Realms comes in. Uh, and the, the good thing about having details to the nth degree, if you are a DM who has very little time on their hands for prep work, you know, the prep work is done for you with mm-hmm. this or with Forgotten Realms. And so it frees you up more to concentrate on the adventures themselves. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you know, most of us prefer putting our own thing in, but if you simply do not have the time or the inclination, you know, having the grit, the big nitty gritty details can be a very good thing. How many yeah. of these gazetteers are there? Thirteen, plus a box set. So by the yeah, time Dawn we, of the Emperors. So by the time we get through thirteen episodes of this, we'll all have like PhDs in Mastara, right? I More guess. Or less. Okay. <laughs> And we're going to space them out, so it's going to easily be yeah. a year or two <laughs> before we get through yeah. them. I, I don't want to be a PhD in Mistara. I'd rather be a, a master in Mistara because it just sounds better. It flows. Oh, if we space them out, then there's a chance I'll just stroke out and die before we get done. Master <laughs> <laughs> of Mistara. Yeah. By, by, the okay. way, Pete, by the way, Pete Spawn, we're still waiting for the explanation of why the king keeps coming back to life. <laughs> He's never going to tell us. <laughs> All right. My number three, number three, yeah, is the churches. You like them? Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> I understand why they're doing it like that because this is late '80s. This is beginning of Lorraine Williams. This is let's bend over triple backwards not to offend anyone. But this is a church without any deities. It's it's not a church. It's a philosophy. Well, it's a, it's, a game, it's a game without any gods. Which, in a world with clerics, makes no sense. True. Um, but at the same time, I understand what they're doing, why they do it. I, I can accept it, if I, even if I don't agree with it, because I know what was going on at the time and can, and can deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like some of the references, though, that basically makes the DM the player's conscience. Oh, yeah. So whenever they make a sin, you know, the DM's kind of got to go, you feel really bad, you feel really bad, you (laughs) really feel like you need to confess and purify, you really, really feel awful, you still feel awful, I think you do. What, are you mind-controlling me? (laughs) Yes. 
that's not what I want to do as a DM. <laughs> On the other hand, if you don't have a god that's going to smack them down for impiety, you've got to do something, I suppose. All right, Glenn, you're number three. I'm going to agree with you on that, Mike, because, like, you know, immortals, eh, they just don't quite fit. But uh, my number three is going to be the Thieves Guild. Zuh. They have three factions of unscrupulousness. I would play a thief in this world. It would be fun. Well, the ones uh, in Specularum, the yeah, the, the Society, the, the Iron Ring. In the Kingdom of the Thieves. Yeah. Of three, I'd probably go with the Kingdom of the Thieves because they have a better benefits plan. Yeah, you get uh, dental. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you get, they automatically take 15% off the top. But you get to pay – you get a cheaper liable fence and, you know, other things like that. And they probably – and also you have a very good percentage chance of occasionally doing a high-paying job. What I find interesting is they only take neutrals. No chaotics need apply, it said. Mm. Uh, the veils How about lawfuls? Uh, they're right out. <laughs> so, I don't uh, think they even mention Lawful. <laughs> yeah, the Veiled Society, uh, we already kind of covered that when we reviewed the module for that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of like the Nobles Mafia. Each house, I love it the way each house is trying to get dirt on the other and make the other look bad. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're slapping each other with like feathers. Oh, look, we made him look bad. Okay, his popularity is going to go down. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. You know, kill the old man and pin it on this other house. Yeah. Um, and the Iron Ring, who boy, slavers. Well, um, they're, they're the obvious set-up bad guys for you to use. Yeah, well, the the, the, black, the black eagle barony of uh, Karamikios' cousin, I believe. Oh, mm. he's, he's, set, he's set up for a big bad real good. Mm. Unless mean, you're in Speculorum, in which case you... Specu- yeah, it's Speculum, in which case you want to use the... Iron Ring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you said it right the first time, Specularum. It is Specularum, okay. Specularum. But, uh, yeah, I like I like the end. And it's funny, in the 2E rewrite, this guy gets overthrown by halflings of all things. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, they, they, it's basically, he's been a thorn in his cousin's side for a long time, but he doesn't do anything about it. By the time 2E rolls around, basically the, the five shires, the halflings kicked his butt out. Okay. Which is really nice. Anyway, that's what I like for three. Okay. Jim? I found it very charming that there were player background generation rules for social economic status. That's something <laughs> that we did way back in the day and, and mm-hmm. we thought was great, mainly because between all of us, we could land one richy rich boy who'd buy all our equipment. Another judges guild too. Yeah, yeah. And, and very much in step with what I was talking about earlier where you, um, it's just, you know – when I was young, I liked rolling on tables. Table after table, the more tables, the better. Um, I'm a little less table crazy these days, but it's kind of, I mean, that's that's a perfect thing that you could plug and play into any game world. Yeah, it was fun. Um, one of our old games, a friend of ours, Robert, he wound up rolling on the social status. and Creep. Yeah, he, he got high social status and he got rich. So he had it all. He was just he was this noble person Son and of had a third lots of money and <laughs> and he obviously thought that the rest of us were beneath him, but he was very, very kind and generous about yes. it. <laughs> he didn't sneer at us, but Hardly at all. Hardly at all, yes. <laughs> 
Isn't it weird, though, how it's just like Paladin, almost everybody that rolls a high economic uh, standing is the worst player to play that character? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got revenge on him because I had him of a high economic status, but I also had him run away from home. Wow. So I could have his dad occasionally sending to try to get him to drag him back home for his responsibilities. Didn't want him out adventuring. When you're done playing with your friends, we need you back here. <laughs> Pretty much. And we don't need you ending up in the belly of a dragon. You're my you're my heir. <laughs> you need to come home and get married and do the responsible thing. But dad, I've almost sub- subdued this one. <laughs> you come home, do the responsible thing. Um, have sex with the maid. No, not that. <laughs> So the opposite of Game of Thrones. You're my legal <laughs> royal heir. Go fight a war. <laughs> yeah. Basically. All right, Liz. You're number three. Okay. Um, going back to something that I wasn't too keen on again this time. Um, I'm I'm trying to kind of go back and forth. You know, wasn't so sure about this. I really liked this. Wasn't so sure about this. Um, they spend an awful lot of time going into the criminal law and punishment. And, That's my number two. And taxing. And it's almost like, you know, I'm reading through all this, you know, the DM, you know, you should tax your players, you know, every few months. And, you know, ask them if they're going to report the gain from their, you know, horde to the taxmen, you know. And if they don't, then da-da-da-da-da. It's like, oh, my gosh, we're playing papers and paychecks, you know. <laughs> Ledgers and logistics. Yes. It's like, ah, I'd totally throw all that out. You know, yeah, you can have that come into play every once in a while just to be nutty, but I don't want to have to be, you know, keeping track of, you know, what the players are, you know, reporting to the local taxmen every single game session. and Gold like, sink. Oh, uh, yes. You know, That's what it's for. Well, there's plenty of other ways you can have them get rid of their crap. You don't have to, you know, just bog everything down in, you know, in ledgers. You know? They, they <laughs> like, fall asleep on watch one night, and when they wake up, everything's gone. Boom, yeah, done. You know, other than the Ducal 1040... Easy. Yeah. yeah, and in which case your players fall asleep, and when they wake up, all their gold is gone from their character sheets. True. So, yeah, I wasn't too keen on that. That was like, eh, not so much. Okay. All right, my number two is a variant of what Liz just said. Um, sure. Though mine falls more under the overall feeling of strong-arming the PCs. There's a <laughs> lot of a lot of encouragement in this book to strong arm the PCs, whether it's for gold, for religion. Um, and I don't mean as, you know, just overall society. I mean, that one point, for example, the DM is encouraged to have the PC arrested for something that, that was justifiable. As far as I can tell, just to run them through the legal system. <laughs> And justify all the legal rules they put in here. <laughs> clang, clang. <laughs> what, what universe is that supposed to work in? I mean, you, normally you just let the players run amok, and sooner or later they end up in the legal system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, they have a three strikes and you're out system, uh, crime-wise. But it has, like I said, there's a justification part that if you can prove whatever you did, no matter how illegal, is justified – well, you can go. 
He needed killing. He needed killing is a valid defense. <laughs> Just like in Mississippi. Woohoo. All right. But yeah, I mean, the legal system, it's interesting. I don't know that I would use as much of it. I don't have a problem with it necessarily, but a lot of the encouragement to strong arm your PC into certain behaviors and sort of thing, as a DM, that kind of bugs me. I, I'm more just let the PCs walk into their own horror. Well, it could smack a railroading too, so. Yeah, it's just, nah, not my bag. Well, yeah. I kind of thought reading about the legal system myself, you know, I almost, you know, thought about saying something on mine, but something that kind of struck me reading it is it seems very similar to a modern day legal system. Yeah. Where you can be out on bail mm -hmm. before your trial. You know, there is a trial generally, you know, with, you know, adjudicators and, you know, an advocate for each person, quote unquote lawyer. It it just Whereas in the city state, they give a judicial system that's virtually nothing like ours <laughs> today. <laughs> uh, city you're state lucky of the if you get sold as a slave afterwards. I was gonna say city state of the invincible overlord? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's see. You you were caught pickpocketing at your first defense. You look like a good guy. Just chop off the one hand. That's Bam. one hand. Because yeah. we like you. Yeah. Now don't do it again. <laughs> All righty. Yeah, it was your two. Your number two? My number two? Just came across it. Let's go back to the Black Eagle Barony for a minute. Baron Ludwig von Hendricks is a great master villain. But by gum, he's got Bargle working for him. You're not allowed Bargle. to take. You're not allowed to take Bargle. Bargle, <laughs> Bargle, the infamous. What a wonderful, depraved, evil magic user for the DM. Um, and who, who, what, what, what player of basic this era does not know about Bargle? <laughs> I mean, you say, okay, you got to go up against Bargle instantly. We're gonna kill him. <laughs> As well, opposed to our our generation, Liz, where it's Xenopus. Yes. <laughs> yes. Xenopus, no. <laughs> it is interesting I mean, that they gave all the stats for Bargle, including what to do if the players had already killed him in another module. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And you know what? Um, he, he, he's just a good, good all-around evil, magical bad guy. Um, and I even plotted him in uh, I think the quest with Silver Sword or something like that. He had his – in my game, in the one I ran for Gage, he had his eye on Thunder Rift. And he figured when everything's going to go south with Hendri Von Hendricks, which it will, he saw it coming, I'm going to take Thunder Rift as my own little duchy, my own little – I'm going to dominate Thunder Rift, kind of like the scouring of the Shire with Thunder Rift. Mm. And it's like at work, they were great. He just – you know, you get uh, the thing I like about Black Eagle, you get two for the price of one. Two villains for the price of one, and it's great. Okay. Jim? Yeah, I'm done. I resign. Glenn stole my very favorite thing in this whole book. No. Bargle? Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the uh, the maps a great deal. We had a, a email yes. writer a couple episodes ago that presented us with the problem, you know, what do you do if you need to have a whole town for the players to run in and all the neighborhoods? Now, I would do what uh, Michael Curtis I've actually seen do. Mike's got like, I don't know, eight or ten sheets of graph paper with 
like blocks, city blocks graphed out on them, and he's done notes for each section and can you, you know not every single building, but like tables, so he can tell you what you run into. That's the way I do it. It would be much easier if you didn't have that time and inclination to take these maps, which have several towns all laid out, different sizes, and you know the neighborhoods demarked like the neighborhoods of Chicago. You know, there's the hill, there's the south end, there's the old quarter, there's the merchant di- district, and then little you know keynotes dropped in to tell you what's there and where the players can adventure. And the street gangs of elves, dwarves, <laughs> and halflings. That's right. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's no city state of the invincible overlord. It's much, you know, uh more uh pray, Legolas. Do not worry about how I speak, just getteth me my money. Yeah. <laughs> but it'd be great I mean you could, you know, buy this, steal yeah. these maps and you're set. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's there's some good steel stuff here, definitely. Mm-hmm. Liz. All right. My number two um, one of the concepts that I thought was very interesting and something that I would be tempted to incorporate into a a campaign is the idea of the what they call the shearing ceremony. And ah, yes. The the teenage, you know, boys and girls of the families are sent off for several years to survive on their own. Um, basically they've got like, they have a big ceremony, there's a dinner and everything, and they're dressed in ragged traveling clothes and just sent out as a penniless adventurer. And they're expected to go out and make their own way in the world somehow for, you know, you know, X amount of years. Yeah, X amount of years, however long it takes for them to be able to come back and prove to their family that they were able to prosper on their own. And then they're welcomed back to the family and to the community. And, you know, they become a full member and, you know, they get their, their clan or their, you know, little Lord areas, you know, you know, their markings or their, their badge, you know, and, you know, ta-da. So I I like that. Yeah, it also makes a great rationale for beginning characters to go off an adventure. Right. That's right. You know, they, this is why you're going out on your own, you know. So I, I thought it, that was pretty cool. And it answers the age-old question of the player going, oh, I want to play a noble. Okay, fine. You just came of age. You're going to do the shearing now. Yeah. Yeah. Here, go be a bum for five years. <laughs> why would the first son of a noble go out an adventure? Yeah. <laughs> That is a good thing. Mm-hmm. All right. My number one kind of plays off of Jim's a bit in that it's the stealable bits. I really like the description of Specularum, despite the street gangs. <laughs> <laughs> you love the elven street gangs. You know it. <laughs> uh, elven street gangs or gnome caravans? I'll take the elven street gangs. That, that, oh, Liz is... Elven street gangs attacking a gnome caravan. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Liz was disappointed there were no kobold street gangs. I was, but I could make my own. <laughs> but again, when it comes to stealing stuff, got to modify. Because, for instance, they have the town of Specularum having 50,000 population, mm-hmm. but only have slit trenches for sanitation. Plumbing yeah. and sanitation. <laughs> Which... Most 
Western European towns didn't get above 20,000 until the late Renaissance, early Enlightenment because of that sort of thing. So adventuring in the sewers makes it really interesting. Well, there's no sewers to investigate. It's a slit <laughs> trench. We're so investigating. A big, stinky town. You're walking down the ditch. Saying. What are you guys doing? Oh, we're just adventuring in this trench. <laughs> yep. I like the description of the brief villages, and I will say I do like the blocks of NPCs given basically as a paragraph. You get something about them. You get a basic idea of their personality, a little bit on their background, and because it's old school, the stat line is really all you need. As far as their attributes, what they're wearing, you're good to go. NPC monster manual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole back half of this thing is that, which is pretty cool. Glenn? Well, let me... Tell you, uh, I really like the plot hooks in the back. There's some, uh, yeah, there is some like, say, the capture of Flame Flicker. Long before this adventure, you can contrive to get one of the player characters romantically involved with the very appealing eye of the Street of Dreams. Good luck with that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you mean if he doesn't fall in love, this has goes nowhere. Fine, but it's got it's got a wide variety, and it's it's slotted for like. Basic, expert, companion, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I like that. It even gives you suggestions of what they've published so far as separate modules, which ones are best to use, and how you go about doing it. Uh, also, I like the, uh, the just the way it tries to make it fit into the game so well. Um, as, as For instance, getting characters involved, uh, going back to the dress... It said there, you know, stuff like there is no standard dress. Nobody can tell if you're a magic user, you just wear robes, blah, 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 which is what I like. You know, so th that kind of level of detail. It's like detail, but not too much detail. Plus, it gives you a list of of D&D &D monsters that would be appropriate for here, which is really, really helpful. They should, all of them should do that if they don't already. Mm -hmm. That's mine. Okay. It's yeah. the... Sorry? Oh, I'm sorry. You're keep going, Glenn? No, I'm done. Okay. Jim? Uh, my number one, I'm going to Bogart Glenn's Bargle because uh, <laughs> out of everything that was in the book, this was the thing where I just went, oh, my God, this is cool. Because, and I, uh, But I'll go into some detail about why. I mean, his, go ahead. his whole career is there. And, you know, where he started out as a little 14-year-old street thug who accidentally mugged a magician's apprentice and stole a spell book, then decided it would be a good idea to keep that up and go apprentice himself to other mages until he learned everything he could learn, stole all the spells. So he stole a mage and apprenticed to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, basically becomes the magic user equivalent of a, of a mob enforcer, then a mob boss, then ends up as the number two to this uh, Baron guy. I mean, that's exactly right for 15th level in old school D&D because a magic, yeah. a magic user in, in basic D&D by 5th level, you should be running the party. By 15th level, you should be the number two in charge of some small country. Yeah. You know. Sports <laughs> wizard. And this guy is just equipped perfect. I had a character almost exactly like this, except for alignment, obviously. I mean, bracers of armor class two. So he's just walking around in his robes with, like, plate mail on. And <laughs> his spell list is perfect. I mean, you gave me that 15th level magic user Bargle, the infamous, as a NPC. And he won't be the number two in that country, you know, Give him five years of game time, he'll be running the whole continent. 
<laughs> yeah, somebody doesn't kick his butt first. The players would never nail him. Not for, <laughs> okay, that's it. He summoned. <clears throat> he did monster summoning and summoned halflings <laughs> over yeah, through Hendrick, and that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Aaron Alston didn't just sit down and go, "Okay, I need a bad guy," you know, for this module. That's a character from somewhere because the way he's outfitted right. and his spell list and equipped, somebody's played that character. Yeah, and that was probably both an advantage and a disadvantage to Aaron Alston because a lot of what he had to work with here, for instance, like the Veiled Society, was mm-hmm. stuff already published in modules. So he didn't have 100% freedom when he put this together. Yeah, he had yeah. to fit what was already you know, published into this booklet somehow. Mm-hmm. And he did it masterfully and elaborated on it. Mm. Well, in deference to what you said earlier about it being the Lorraine Williamson regime, I read up on how uh, this all happened. And the TSR uh, salaried writers were off doing AD&D, and Bruce Hurd got put in charge of basic D&D adventure modules. And he was also in charge of the freelancers, so he had all those guys like Aaron you know, at his fingertips. So they had a lot of freedom. In this series, and some of that yep. spontaneity and originality shows in this product. Okay. Liz? My number one, um, I believe, is something that you touched on on your number five, Mike, the song of King Halav. That's one of the things that I really enjoyed when I started reading this because it was very much, you know, like the, the song of Roland or the poem of the seed. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that the incorporation of a an oral story tradition of you know the the founding of the kingdom and you know the the hero that has been elevated to almost mythic status but based on a real person you know, that I thought that was a very nice touch put in to you know this is how it all came about way back when. And lest anyone go, you know, well, he didn't come up with his original ones. He stole it from European mythology. The Cimmerillion, dozens <laughs> of legends went into yes. the making of Tolkien. That's right. And he freely admitted it. So That's right. All right. Well, then, let's uh, move on into our favorite random encounter. We take what we want and leave the rest. Just like your salad bar. Nothing up must leave. Presto! You will come out no more. What? Huh? What will come out no more? Random Encounters. Our favorite random encounter. That's basically just a choice of a monster or NPC encounter that's available in the Grand Duchy. And I will start off. With new monsters? Did I, miss, did I miss something, or are there only two new monsters, which means two of them? There are two new – that's oh, right. I didn't, yeah. use, I didn't use a monster for mine. I used one of the adventure hooks as a random encounter for my own, just to, just to let you all know. Okay. <laughs> Five bucks right now says Glenn picked the same one I did. <laughs> well. Looking. But back to you, Mike. Of course, I have to admit, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this. It's Chorus Zeggy Keep. Oh, yeah. And it's one of the famous haunted keeps in the hinterlands, basically from the head of the Korsigi family who was cursed to become a vampire. 
And when I first read that, I thought, oh, no, somebody's retreading Ravenloft. But I read it, and no, this is closer to, I suppose, Stoker's original Dracula rather than the kind of almost romanticized Strad von Zarovic that was put into uh, Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, he's kind of crazy. He's got goblin assistance. I mean, goblin, bleh, ghoul assistance. <laughs> and it gives a basic list of his lair and various rooms, but it doesn't give you tons of information on it. So you can easily flesh out some of the details and make it a really big or really small adventure, depending on what you want to put your PCs at. But he's basically a vampire, but he cannot leave more than a day from his castle. Interesting. So, so you can run away if you need to, which I thought was cool. Uh, an underappreciated old school player tactic. Yes. <laughs> run, run away. Run away. <laughs> that rabbit's dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> Look All at right. the bones. In the bones. Glenn? I uh, let Jim go first, so I... So he can oh, do whatever he does for us first. Just, so well, no, let's, we need to see if he you ripped his off. We got to figure. Out. <laughs> yeah, I got. I got. I got money. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying not. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> or he ripped you off, or no, something. You, you don't get out that easy. Put your five bucks on the table. Okay, fine. You want me to go? I'll go. Okay. Um, as random encounters, um, honorable mention goes to Valen's flight, where. Um, Young Valen Karamikios goes on a shearing, and in some distant part of town, they find out the Iron Ring has pierced his disguise and kidnapped him. So they have to give him, get him to safety with the Iron Ring in hot pursuit. Not bad. But my favorite one is Toys of the Madman. Yep. That's, that's what I got. That's what I got. I love that. See, Jim, it's, see, Jim, it's not just you. <laughs> uh, but, <clears throat> Was that yours, Jim? I owe you Jim? five bucks now. Toys? <laughs> really? I lost Was that, that yours, Jim? No. All right. Well, I like Toys of the Man Man because it comes off as a original star, like an original Star Trek episode, like uh, you know the Gamesters, where they put Kirk and Andor Spock and a bunch of other aliens on that planet with the Gorn, mm-hmm. and then they have to fight, and Abraham Lincoln, and they have to fight for their amusement, that kind of thing. It comes off like a Star Trek episode. And I like well, it. Since, since I okay. lost the bet, you can have your choice of either five dollars or five quatloos. <laughs> Do I want to know what five quatloos are? Games are Carskalian. That was what uh, they they true, true, they true. Uh, gambled with. That's true. And you know, uh, you know, von Hendrix comes off as the uh, squire of Gothos in this one. <laughs> okay. Oh well, you'll be set free, maybe. You know, if you win. Um, so yeah, it's pretty much like a uh, um, uh, what a most dangerous game type of scenario, which I like. Okay, yeah, so that the was... reference to toys of the madman is to the player characters. Yes, are the toys okay? So that's mine. All right. Well, Jim, now we got to ask, what's yours? Um, I went with a new monster rather than a random encounter, and uh, I loved that Nosferatu write-up. Because I, with all due respect to Gary Gygax, I loathe and detest the AD&D version of vampires because they're just walking TPKs. They're, it's, it's like a pre-planned save-or-die scenario. They're mm-hmm. harder than hell to kill. I, you, you guys are playing 2E. <clears throat> you finally nailed that one, right? But it's just, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I like 
the old school mentality of this is a lethal situation. You might have to run away from it and stuff, but I don't like things where there's just the players have no damn chance. So the yeah. Nosferatu is like the way it's written up in uh, this product is like a vampire done correctly, in my personal opinion. I, in fact, didn't we have earlier in the earlier in Save or Die? Didn't we have kind of a like? Why is it? I was I was debating. He says, "Okay, he doesn't drain levels; he drains blood." Wait a minute, that's the same thing. And then we had a whole back and forth on that. Yeah, well, it's not the and same. Thing. It's not really. Yeah, yeah. This guy will not drain levels from you. He'll just bite you and suck your blood, which is suck your blood. Yeah, closer as, as, as you were talking about, closer to Bram Stoker than uh, uh, mm-hmm. what you know Gary's player screw. Machine. And Gary's hit you, you lose a yeah, luck. I mean, I, I respect the game is written, but I'm always a little queasy from the DM side of the screen when there are levels on the line and people are getting whacked for levels. Well, I don't have a problem necessarily with the level you draining too. part. It just it, it just seemed to not really fit the vampiric idiom to me. Well, yeah. You know? That's a much better stated version of what I'm trying to struggle um, to say. So that, so I'm take, I take it that's something you would steal outright. Yeah, I just like this 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 as a write up. This Nosferatu is a write up for a vampire because he'll still screw the party and maybe kill him. He's just not going to drain levels. I mean, in well, most you, respects, he is uh, exactly like a AD and D vampire. The one I'm well, you with. you you are in luck, Jim, because well, maybe in luck, but you don't have to get this gazetteer to get the Nosferatu. It's in the creature catalog too. Well, I own a copy of this gazetteer. I bought it so we could do this episode. <laughs> well, there you go then. So he's okay. got it. I'm just saying it's also in the the creature catalog if you don't have that. Okay. Yep. Liz? Well, Toys of the Madman was what I had chosen as well. And for pretty much the same reasons that Glenn had, it was was like a ripoff of the most dangerous game. And Baron Ludwig just comes off as practically the stereotypical caricature of a villain – you know, he's going to tie someone to a set of railroad tracks and then pull the waxed end of his mustache while he's waiting for the train to come. Yes! I'll save you, no. <laughs> but to kind of segue off of that, you know, I, I will go to, you know, earlier in the book where they talk about, you know, the Baron's little place of power, Fort Doom. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. That that I, I remember. I, I'm reading Fort Doom. It's like really. I want to go there. <laughs> Fort Doom, really. <laughs> I pictured Skeletor. There I did. I did too. Castle Grayskull. You know, Fort Doom. Doom. Next, Steven. It's like I. I swear, this Baron is just. He is made to be hated. There is no redeeming qualities whatsoever, and you know. <laughs> In yeah, you, he he's the sort of person you would expect to be tying someone to a set of railroad tracks and you know, rubbing fact, his hands together gleefully. And, and An before, evil before, set of railroad tracks. Yes, <laughs> extremely evil set of railroad tracks. And, and before 2E, they even have a plot hook in there where Stefan Karamikos has had it with him and sends adventurers and other people to just kick his butt. <laughs> I'm tired of you. It's like, Your well, family, but time. I don't care. <laughs> I thought it was weird he put up with him that long. Well, I don't know what to do with my cut. He's calling his home Fort Doom. That's time to but take it, really. But he's my cousin. But he's my <laughs> cousin. Yeah, whatever. All uh, right. Is there any final comments on the encounters in this supplement, or we'll go into products of your imagination? I love them. Yeah. 
I do like how they divvy up in the back. They split adventures for basic levels, expert, companion, master. Yeah, that was nice. I do like that because it allows you to cherry pick at need. All right, then. Well, let's go to products. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier when we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons game. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm just laughing at why are the four of you reviewing a product that you basically don't like? It's so we can get angry letters from the viewers we're trying to serve. <laughs> because we love email. Hey, we were asked to review it. Yeah, we all we all give it one dragon. Bring it on. <laughs> all right. Well, do anyone want to discuss the format and layout of the product? Yes. Let's start Let me with. at it. Liz. <laughs> I really, really hate the blue tower overlaying the text on nearly every single page of this book. Well, if you're going to collect gazetteers, you better get used to it. So, <laughs> is that tower or something just like it in every one of the gazetteers? No, no, they they have, but they have something overlaid in every one of the gazetteers. Not a, just a tower, but whatever the symbol is of that land or whatever. Oh, joy. Yeah. It's like, it was so, ah, I mean, you could still read the text Yes. on my PDF, but it was annoying as all get out. And I yeah, didn't my care OCR for that. did not like it. However, on the plus side, the Clyde Caldwell cover art is oh, yeah. fantastic as usual. I loved that. Had some very good interior artists on there, too. Um, just that freaking blue tower. <laughs> Jim? Okay, here it comes. Full rant mode. My number one pet peeve in all game print today are when you pick up a a rule book, a hardbound rule book that you've paid 40 or 50 bucks for, and it's little black type floating on some four color Photoshop to hell and back rendered background. And my eyes just will not parse that information easily. And if you'd asked me before today, when did that trend start? I'd have had no clue, but it started right here with what Liz was talking about. (laughs) We're going to print the inside in two colors. How can we use those two colors? Well, let's just put a big obnoxious graphic right behind the type. It's dead center of every page. Makes one wonder if that was an attempt to avoid, you know, kind of like the 70s with the blue maps and the modules. Oh, to avoid photocopying? Because you yeah. see this muddy gray thing in the middle of every page? Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. Well, I'm just guessing. It makes, me re- it makes me wish real life was an RPG and I was a DM. And I could just look <laughs> at this designer and go, just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. <laughs> a crate of <laughs> eggs fall on your head. <laughs> you know... And I thought it started with Planescape. <laughs> Silly. Apparently a bit earlier. Yeah. Other than that, All it's right. typeset well. nicely. <laughs> oh, you like the layout? I like the layout, too. I think it's nice. And the Caldwell cover kicks butt. If I can get Gaz 9, I'm going to have him sign every single one of these darn things. <laughs> Hear that, Clyde? You can not go to the convention now. So. You can, yeah. <laughs> 
You'll know him from the oaky accent when he comes towards you with this. This big box is like, go get him out of here. (laughs) Any other comments? Mm, Well, the the, I was gonna say I'm I'm torn. The the typeface in and of itself is pretty easy to read. The text blocks, I think they're a little bit too crowded for my personal taste, but they have an awful lot of information that they are trying to get into a set number of pages, and I can forgive them for that. Um, They did not, you know, mash the text together to such an extent that it is not readable. I just think that from a visual standpoint, it could have looked more attractive if they had been able to open it up, you know, open those paragraphs up a little. Right. Um, but yeah, um, on the whole, you know, I think they made some good choices, except for the freaking tower. <laughs> <laughs> I will not stop talking about the tower. <laughs> the art um, is nice. Yes, the art the is art. beautiful. Beautiful yes. art. And let me say a word. The maps are kick ass. Yeah. I got the the little ones and the big one that came with it. Oh, I could frame that thing. And didn't Sutherland do the map? Uh, let me look. He was responsible for like some of the overall layout, so it might have been the maps too. Oh, Dennis okay. Krauth, Rob Krauth, and David C. Sutherland. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, not only did they have great maps, but they had some great interior, uh-huh. you know, you know, tavern interiors you know that you could use and stuff like that you know they they, I mean, they put some good stuff yeah i'm gonna be ripping off that the duke stronghold i'm gonna be ripping it off for my game <laughs> the typography was by betty elmore and kim lindau do you think betty elmore is any relation hmm. yeah i was about Betty's. to say is it spelled the same way yeah interesting <laughs> I, don't talk, I don't want to talk about bad about anybody i might run into in three weeks <laughs> yeah. and, like, and like I said, in the day it went for ten bucks. Okay, all Today? right. Well, <laughs> let's give it some dragons then. Well, do we want to tell folks where, how much it costs? Well, we where they that afterwards. Okay. Um, Liz. Okay. Well, while there were some things that I liked and could see myself using, there are other things such as the papers and paychecks, you know, nth nth degree of, you know, stuff that I would not use. So in the end, I'm just going to give it a dead average three dragons. Okay. Jim? Uh, I'm going to go with two. And you you should go get yourself a copy of this just to prove me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, you have a way of promoting your work. I love it. (laughs) Glenn? Uh, I'm going to give it four because there are some stuff that I really couldn't care about, like what Liz was talking about, papers and paychecks and all that. Um, the legal system, it's like, well, if it comes up type of thing. And, you know, I like the little bits like the heraldry and the, and the, the you know, the calendar and stuff like that. But I don't really see me using that on a, on a week-to-week basis. So I'm going to give it four dragons. Okay. I'm going to go with Jim. And drag two. it down. <laughs> it's it's got some good parts to it, but I just don't see it as something I would go to on a regular basis. Um, I have nothing but respect for Aaron Alston, and I think he did his best and in 
the per- parameters he was given to work under. I just, just maybe it's just me as a DM, but you know, it's got some good things. I'd steal those maps. I might steal some of the NPCs, but yeah, for the most part, no, nah, not really. But Mike, you've got to steal Fort Doom. <laughs> Fort Doom. <laughs> Doom. Just to Doom. Parse. Mike, Go now. <laughs> Mike, just to parse this out a little bit more, would it be fair to say that the writing is excellent, that the problems you and I are having are more conceptual? Yes. I, I think the writing is fine. I think in developing the culture at hand for the campaign world of Mistara, I think it did fine. And this is the core gazetteer for that for that world. But I just don't find it terribly, you know, other than, you know, dilute it for a few pieces. I just wouldn't want to get it otherwise. Sorry. So I thought about doing that- 1.5, but that just <clears throat> seemed like I was working hard to keep my, my title of lowest voters. Wow, that's, yeah, you, that's always, a- you always get to be the hard-ass curmudgeon. Can I drop mine to one just so I get to do it one time? <laughs> Up to you. No, I can't do that. It's a two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I think yeah, that makes, that a, makes two, a two point seven five. Yep, two point seven five. Fastest calculator in the West. <laughs> All uh, right, and which uh, is probably the most divisive review rating we've had for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bound to happen sooner or later, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, but I still love it. I still love it. Anyway, you can pick up hard copies on either eBay or Noble Knight Games. Or occasionally. You can get the PDF at dndclassics.com for $4.99. That's right. And there are uh, actually blue, ta- blue tower and all. There are <laughs> copies on eBay right now going all the way from twelve fifty still in the shrink wrap up to several hundred dollars. So I'd get the twelve fifty right. one if I were. Wow. I paid I think I paid uh, thirty for mine on eBay. Um, that that's, was clo- the, that's close to the average price I've seen for it. Yeah, um, I got this is before I got the, my big box of gadget gazetteers. So, yeah, I paid separate for this one, and it was worth it because it came with the map too. I think that's but, the average price given on the Accium for it. Yeah, too. Yeah, I think that's what drives up the price too. If it has the map or not, a lot of these are you're not going to find a map. Uh, yeah. If you go, yeah. Yeah, that's you know. Most people, ah, oh, not going to camp, uh, it, but this map, wow. But, but then, but then again, you can always go to like what the mines of El, uh, the vaults of, uh, uh, I want to say mines of Valhoum, <laughs> <laughs> the vaults of Pandius, and get yourself a map of the area because they got all that stuff there. This is the kind See of that, thing that Matt. Fun. See how you work that in, Matt. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to live. I'm going to live next session. <laughs> Your fifty quatlu check is in the mail. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> And all right, as we leave the Grand Duchy behind us in our dusty road with a slit trench, <laughs> how do we head down the road, Glenn? <laughs> I've got a party in the slit trench thinking thinking they're in a thinking they're in a sewer. <laughs> Where's why all the rats? There no roof? Yeah, why, why is it all sunny and there's no giant rats? <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving them on. Just, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And Jim? Uh, I'm going to go apprentice myself to Bargle the Infamous and wait for him to turn his back on me. Oh, man, you're going to do, the, do the, the, the Sith thing. I'm stealing that spellbook, man. Subdue him. That's right. <laughs> See if I can subdue Beat him repeatedly level. about the head and shoulders. <laughs> I, de- I defy anybody 
any DM out there not to play Bargle like Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. Now you made me think about it. Okay, polymorph him into yeah. dragon, then subdue him. <laughs> Liz? Um, I'm trying real hard to escape from Fort Doom. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> well, I would be going down the road, but Baron Von Hendrick has tied me to some railroad tracks. <laughs> and I just can't get free. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for our interesting review. Hope you found it interesting. We certainly did. And we'll see you on episode 89. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night. Briarch. And we're out. Yay. Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Saber Die theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.Bandcamp.com. And remember, if you really want to subdue a dragon, try hitting it with Glenn Halstrom's giant gazetteers collection. It'll knock them cold. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.